I don't know if you've been following the news uh, with the Canadian wildfires going on. I didn't know about these. If you didn't know there's wildfires going on in Canada, I don't know if it's still as bad as it was this past week, but my phone kept getting these air quality alerts, which I thought was kind of weird, but then I thought, oh, maybe it's because of the you know, allergy season, maybe the pollen count is really high in the air. I know nothing about how the air quality thing works. But then it hit me. I was like, oh, surely it can't be from those fires, can it? And then I got online and I looked up, and there's this cool time lapse you can find on one of the newspaper websites, and they show the smoke coming down into America. And uh, it, it, did, it is affecting, has affected this area, but the area it's really affected is like the Northeast area. And I have a, there's a famous YouTube blogger, I like watching his stuff, he lives in New York City, and in these videos he made, he showed these sweeping cinematic pictures of just this like dense orange fog engulfing the city. If you haven't seen the pictures, you should. It's, it's really eerie. It turns out that the smoke from the Canadian fires <clears throat> are breaking air quality records all over that area. And in the case of New York City, as I was watching that video, I thought, man, fire and its smoke can really stifle the grandeur of a city or, or of that of any landscape. It won't, look for, it won't look great for those coming in and seeing it for the first time. It won't leave a good impression for them. And for those who live in it, maybe they can even forget how beautiful that city is as well. On the other hand, we know that a fire can be a tool that can bring warmth, health, and joy to a landscape. Think of a national park or something like that. It can be beautiful if you're camping. And that draws people in, right? You can even use fire to protect a landscape if you're seeking to do a controlled burn in an area to prevent further destruction, right? Well, I think how fires affect the beauty of a landscape is a picture of how our judgment can affect the beauty of Jesus' kingdom. See, judgment is a tool, but it's a dangerous one. You wield it well, and you heed the maker's instructions, and it can build up. But you wield it foolishly, and you do it in the way that you think it should be used, and it will tear down. So today, this is the main point of I think our passage or the main idea is, is Jesus is preaching this text to us because he wants us to see that our judgment of others can either hinder the kingdom's growth, the kingdom of God, or it can promote and protect it. So we, we're, we all make judgments every single day, right? If we're capable of thinking, we're capable of judging. So you think about picking your the, the shoes you want to wear in the morning, to little things like that, to a bigger decision, a bigger judgment, like who you're going to marry. And the catch, though, is that we're also sinners, right? Which means that we'll steward our judgment in sinful ways. And given Jesus' instructions and commands to us, we're going to be prone to steward his commands in sinful ways, too which is why I think Jesus pauses to preach this passage to us today. So we need instructions for what pitfalls to avoid when thinking about judging and how to wield judgment for the good of his kingdom. So what's going to follow is we're going to have two pictures of how to wield our judgment sinfully 
that will hinder the gospel and kingdom growth. And then lastly, we'll look at a picture in the last point that shows how we can promote and protect God's kingdom with godly judgment. And this is what I'm, I'm praying for all of us today. I'm praying that I, I want you to know that because of Jesus, you, Christian, received grace instead of judgment. That is a picture of the gospel. So we should love likewise so that others may know Jesus. So we're going to jump right into it. Here's the first picture of judgment that stifles kingdom growth. The first point is condemning judgment necessitates God's judgment. Condemning judgment necessitates God's judgment. We're going to start with verse 1. Do not judge so that you won't be judged. This verse teaches us a solemn truth, that if we have judged others ever, then we invite God to judge us. This verse here is one of the most known by our world. Tons of people can quote it, but it doesn't mean what the world wants it to mean. It's easily one of the most taken out of context verses in all of the Bible. Many see this as this get out of jail free card when they desire to sin in some way, and they can use it as a a proof text that we are not to judge in any way whatsoever. But this is why reading the whole Bible and knowing how to read your Bible matters so much because context shows us that that's just not possibly what that means. This is not barring judgment in any case whatsoever. What this judge word here means is specifically a condemning judgment, a condemning judgment. Quickly, let me just show you a few places in Scripture to to prove this. Look at verse 6 in the same passage, right below. We'll get to it in our last point, but you can't label a person a dog or a pig without some sort of judgment, right? Some judgment's allowed. That's not what this verse is talking about. You don't need to turn there, but John 7, 24, Jesus was teaching in the temple, and he ends by saying, stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. Okay, so right there we have a sinful judgment, and a righteous judgment. Think about how we practice church discipline as a church. Matthew 18, 15 talks about one of the first steps of formal discipline. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him in private. Some versions say, go and tell him his faults. So this, again, necessitates judgment of some kind that is permitted. So the point here is Jesus Saying do not judge cannot possibly mean any kind of judgment whatsoever. He, he is specifically speaking of condemning judgment. So at this point, you should, we should be understanding that judgment is a packed word that we got to be careful with. And in this case, it's sinful judgment, as, as we'll get to in a moment, because of the authority attached to it. So judgment and authority have a really strong tie. We'll talk about it a little more. And there is righteous judgment as well that's permitted to us because of the authority God has given us in that sense to use. But in this case, he is talking about condemning judgment. If you have ever in your heart, even in just the most microscopic way, assumed the worst in a person, I've done that this week been overcritical of someone, disparaging, unforgiving, 
finding faults quickly in someone, any hint of any of this type of spirit, even just once, is enough to count you as guilty in condemning judgment against another. And then we have scripture like Romans 2.1 that hits really hard. Therefore, every one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Since you, the judge, do the same things. We know that God's truth on those who do such things is based on truth. I'm just going to bear down a little more here. I want us to make sure that we understand the severity of this sin. To judge someone in a condemning way is to essentially usurp God's authority. It is to assume the role of God as the condemning judge that only he can hold. Because what condemning judgment is, is it's, it's a declaration of rejection in the heart towards a person. So your heart is saying, I reject this person, who they are as a person. And that's only something that God has the authority to do. It's not our job. Condemning others implies that we don't trust God's judgment is sufficient and that his timing is trustworthy. Ultimately, it shows a lack of faith in God. And he is the only one who can condemn. So we're trying to do something that we, we can't possibly do anyway. And that's just mocking God. We've never been in a position to. We don't have that authority. Why? Because we're sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have never had any standing. God, on the other hand, has perfect standing. He is perfect in every single way, righteous. He made us. He has all authority and power because he's the God who is faithful to all of his promises, perfectly holy. He's sovereign, right? So when we judge others in a condemning way, we're telling God how those qualifications don't matter. I can do it. This is extreme self-righteousness and an affront to God's glory. This is a devastating sin, and every single one of us is guilty of it. I hope this breaks your heart as much as it did mine, as I just thought about how often I break this command as I studied this this week. So because of this, he does have a right to judge us. And, and he must judge us because he is holy. Look at verse 2 now. Look down at verse 2. For you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. This verse here further explains the, con the consequences of condemning judgment. It is only just for the one judging to be measured by the authority that he assumes. Let me say that again. There's a lot in there, and I just slipped up my words, so listen. It is only just for the one judging to be measured by the authority that he assumes. I said earlier, judgment and authority, they have a really strong tie. Here's what this verse is saying. It's saying when we step into a position of authority, or we take a position of authority, say even take it wrongly, regardless of what we think or what we want, we will be judged at that level. So the NBA finals are going on right now. 
don't know if anybody's watching that, but the you know basketball championship, the season's wrapping up. The Nuggets and the Heat. The heat? Yeah, the Heat, thank you. And uh, so what if, so these games are going on. There's like seven of them, best out of seven. Imagine for some insane reason that the coach of, of one of these teams wanted to put in, put in a guy like me, five foot eight. Uh, what would happen? How do you think that would go? Probably not very well for that team, right? They, I would probably get absolutely destroyed. And then that team would lose. And at the end of that game then, are all the refs and the, the fans going to say, oh, well, no, 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 we, we should change the score. Paul Gandy was in there. He was 5'8". Like, it's, we, we should change this. No, they're not going to do that. Why? Because I assumed the rules of the game when I stepped on that court. It's perfectly fair. I wasn't forced to step out there. I chose to. In the same way, if you judge your neighbor or you judge someone at work in a condemning way, remember, um, sister-in-law, fellow church member, you are stepping onto that court and you're declaring that you can play by God's rules. So if you assume his position, you assume his authority and you sit on his throne. It is only fair that you be judged with the highest judgment if that's where you're sitting. So I want us to take some time and let's examine our hearts. Where does a condemning heart for others show up in your life? Have you held back forgiveness from someone? Are you quick to pass on bad news about someone before knowing the facts? Are you prone to gossip? What if people talked about you the way that you talk about others? Are your thoughts about a person who pulled in front of you glorifying to the Lord? Or are you disparaging him or her as a person in your heart? Have you assumed the worst in anyone lately? I'd encourage you to memorize 1 Corinthians 13.6. It says, Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Lastly, I would encourage you to pray. Pray that the Lord would help you examine your heart and identify where you are prone to indulge your flesh here. And look at how this stifles the picture of the gospel. It's telling others there's nothing but judgment to experience among God's people. And who wants to get in on that? We need the grace of God to rescue us from our judgmental hearts and spare us from the judgment we rightly deserve because we've assumed God's job. We haven't talked about this yet, but I wouldn't be preaching this text well if I didn't address the judgment that is coming for us because we've all broken Jesus' commands here. But I'm going to come back to that in a minute. So just hang tight. After the second point, I'll come back. I'm going to look now to point number two. This is the second picture of judgment that can stifle the kingdom's growth. And that's that hypocritical judgment makes our sin small and other sins big. Hypocritical judgment makes our sin small and other sins big. Look at verses 3 and 4. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? 
Or how can you say to your brother, let, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. Here our judgment takes another form now of hypocrisy. These verses are saying that we make others sin, others sin great while we minimize our own because of our own self-righteousness. But our sin must seem huge to us so that we can know God's grace and preach it to others. These verses uh, set up the stage with the characters and the props that we get to use here. So we have you, a brother, a splinter, and a beam of wood. Jesus here, he wants us to see the absurdity of this picture. It's a great thing to help a brother or sister with their sin, which is what that wood represents. But here's a person, though, who's convinced that they're in the best position to help a brother with a splinter of wood. Some translations even say a speck, which sounds even smaller to me, than when they have a beam of wood in their own eye. Think of beam that can support the entire, an entire home. Think about one of these beams that are holding up this roof here. That's the idea. In this case, the wood represents sin, so it's admirable and it is good to seek to love a brother or sister in order to build them up, correct them maybe for their good. But there's a strong warning here, so much that Jesus yells out the title, hypocrite. He's trying to wake us up. He's trying to get our attention. And here's why, and this is, this is a really scary truth, because a hypocrite doesn't know that they're a hypocrite. Jesus says, why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't even notice? What he's pointing out isn't so much the sizes of the wood in terms of who has more or less sin, but of the fact that the beam guy doesn't know that he is self-righteous. And that is dangerous to him, to his brother, to portraying the kingdom of God. So it's not so much that a person needs to have a clean slate free of sin before giving counsel, or else none of us would be qualified for that, right? But it's that we must have humility and understand how massive of a sinner we really are. It's Paul, the Apostle Paul, who said that he is the chief of sinners. He's modeling this for us. He says in, in somewhere in one of his writings, Oh, wretched man that I am. It's embodying that very first beatitude, poor in spirit. It's recognizing the weight of sin in light of a perfect God, like we do every single Sunday morning, like we did this morning when we had our moment of confession it's then that we can use judgment as an effective tool for others' good. Because it's only then that we have to cast our need on someone else besides us. And that is Jesus and his grace. Our self-righteousness can't remove someone's sin. Only Jesus can do that. And only the gospel, which is the power of God for salvation. So this should scare us a bit, that we might be blind to our self-righteousness. So do you see yours? We must pray to the Lord that he helps us identify our self-righteousness that's hiding in plain sight. A few other identifying questions. After a sermon, do you think of someone's name or tell a friend or a spouse afterwards that it reminded you of someone who needed to hear, at, hear that sermon before you? 
Have you even thought of someone in this sermon right now before yourself? Do you spend more time thinking about others' sin or your sin? I heard a man last month say that he kept a sin list with him uh, on his phone or in a journal or something like that, just a list of sins that he struggled with the most. And he had them in there because he, he wanted to be reminded of, of what he should pray to the Lord to help him kill as often as he can, just to be actively fighting against his sin. He knew these are weakness areas. But he also had that list to keep him humble and remembering how much he needed Jesus. So it just kept his self-righteousness in check every time that he was shepherding or counseling others. Maybe that could be something helpful to you. And again, look and see how this kind of judgment stifles the picture of the gospel. It's telling others that the only people who are a part of this kingdom are people who think they have, all, have it all together and don't actually sin that much. It's a kingdom that acts like a savior isn't needed. And again, I ask you the question, who wants to get in on that? It's when we see our sin for the endless depth that it is that we see an even greater grace of Jesus. And that glorifies Jesus instead of us. And when we make Jesus' grace more attractive than our self-righteousness, that's when we promote the kingdom of God. Now, having looked at these two pictures, first two points, of judgment that can hinder God's kingdom, we need to stop and I'm going to tie up these two points now with some bad news and some good news, some fantastic news. Here's the bad news. We've been speaking of judgment. Now I'm coming back to the first point. There is a day coming when every one of us will stand before God, the righteous judge who does have all authority, and we will face judgment. And all of us are guilty and deserving of the Lord's judgment. And every single thing that we have ever done on earth, behind closed doors, in our hearts, Everything will be exposed before God, who does have the right to judge and condemn. And on that day, he will execute the judgment that is deserved. Not one of us can escape that day, because we've all sinned and we've all failed the test of verse 1 of our text here. We have judged with condemnation, so we will be judged with condemnation. And we failed the test of verse 2. We'll be judged by the highest standard imaginable because we tried to condemn like God. We assumed his authority. And at the end of judgment day, those who denied God's mercy and did not trust in Jesus will face an unending hell that is very real and is clearly explained in scripture. I know this is heavy and I know it's unsettling, but it is real. And this is the reality of our sin that all of us rightly deserve. But, listen closely, there is another reality, and that is the reality of grace, friends. That reality is just as clear as the reality of judgment. And here is that reality, and it's wrapped up in the gospel. This is it. Jesus faced all the judgment, all the punishment and wrath of God that we deserved on the cross. 
so that we don't have to face that judgment on judgment day. Never once did Jesus ever hold any sinful condemnation in his heart. He was never a hypocrite. He never had a beam in his eye, not a speck in his eye, and not an even a little atom of a speck in his eye because he was perfectly holy, sinless. He was pure in every way so that when he was judged on the cross for sinners by his father, he was able to justify, to satisfy the demands of God's judgment, justify all of us who have trusted in him as our savior. That's all it takes, just a simple faith and trust in him and that justifying work, that that is sufficient. And he rose from the grave, and he defeated sin and death, and right now he is in heaven interceding for you, Christian. And if you're listening right now and you've, you've been convicted over the judgment and the hypocrisy of your own heart, and you realize that you have never trusted in Jesus, you can bet your life on the fact that Jesus, the price that he paid was enough to justify you in his father's eyes completely too. It needs to be big in our eyes, our sin does, but you're not too big of a sinner for Jesus. He paid it all, as we sang earlier. So I'm, I'm pleading with you. Life is short and the true, real judgment of the Lord is going to come. But whereas his judgment is coming, grace is is here right now for you. And the joy and the peace of having no more burden of sin and, and eternity with Jesus, that's, that's yours to look forward to. It can be yours right now. Trust in him. Listen to this quote from John Piper about judgment day for us who are in Christ. So if you haven't trusted in Christ, this could be your reality. We pray it will. But it is for us who are, have trusted in Christ and it's so wonderful. Listen here. He says, picture it like this. God has a file on every person. All you've ever done or said is recorded there with a grade from A to F. And when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged for what you have done in the body, whether good or evil, God will open that file and lay out the tests with their grades. He will pull out all the Fs and put them in a pile. Then he will take out all the Ds and Cs and pull the good parts of the test out and place them with the A's and then put the bad parts with the F's. And then he will take all the B's and the A's and pull the bad parts out of them and put them in the F pile. And he'll put all the good parts in the A pile. And I should add here, this is me talking, not John Piper. One, one grade of one act going into the F pile is enough to condemn us, right? So we all have a lot of F's in our pile. But then he will open another file and that's the book of life. And he will find your name because you are in Christ through faith. Behind your name will be a wood stick match made from the cross of Jesus. And he will take that match, he will light it, and he will set your F pile with all your failures and your deficiencies on fire and burn them up. They will not condemn you and they will not reward you. Then he will take from your book of life file, a sealed envelope marked free and gracious bonus, life. And he will put it on that A pile. And then he will hold up the entire pile and he will declare, by this your life bears witness to the grace of my father, the worth of my blood, and the fruit of my spirit. 
These bear witness that your life is eternal. And according to these, you will have your rewards. Enter into the everlasting joy of your master. Man, what grace that we do not deserve. Our last point is a little different in that it doesn't give us a picture of stifling the kingdom growth, but it's one of wielding judgment in such a way that promotes and protects the kingdom. So third point, gospel-aware judgment promotes and protects the kingdom. Look at verses five and six. Starting after hypocrite, it says, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. So we have two instances here where we're seeing two actions of judgment that actually promote and protect the kingdom of God. First, we see the result of a brother who removes that beam. He sees his sin as big and trusts in Christ in light of that big sin. And it's in that case that he is able to execute good proper judgment in lovingly taking that splinter out of the brother's eye. Let this be a reminder to you, church, that when your heart is humbly and carefully seeking to point out sin in a brother or sister's life here at LBC, you are executing wise and good judgment. And in some ways, you could say this is a very low form of church discipline, because remember, church discipline isn't happening just when we vote to remove someone from our membership. It's happening in the little things, and the big things. It, there's a whole spectrum here from preaching from the pulpit, equipping groups, counseling session, or just sharing with a sister in Christ, hey, I, I, I think there's, there's something here that I need to point out out of love. This good judgment promotes a healthy church and therefore provides a more accurate picture of God's kingdom. It's actually unloving and hindering God's kingdom not to remove the speck in another's eye if you are in a position to. So before moving on here, I think this is the best place for this. I want to address Pride Month as many of us in this room are, are just getting hit in the face with it at work, in the classroom, in stores and online. And we're watching our culture celebrate sin, yet it's easy to feel hamstrung because we're being told we're not loving and we're not supposed to judge in any sense and, and this very passage can be used against us. So a few words of encouragement to you. I wish I could spend more time on this. But speaking the truth in love and not affirming evil is not sinful judgment. No matter how judgmental our culture thinks we are, this isn't true. And it reckons with the fact that the truth of God's word is just not compatible with our culture's truth. So if you are faced with having to give an answer or take a stand in any way at all, be prayerful, be meek, triple check your self-righteousness. But it is okay to lovingly speak the truth. You are allowed and you are encouraged. Because when you combine the truth with real Christ-like love, that's how people are led to Jesus. So don't lie. Be patient with those who have been hurt by condemning and self-righteous people in the church. 
and make your love different than the world's and pray for the Lord to give you wisdom in navigating these things. I know it's so hard. And just know that I'm praying for you and the pastors are here to help, work, help you work through just the nuances of, of your own situations. But just remember, this world is not our home and Christ will build his church. And we have a job to do to promote the kingdom of God. I say this here because it's up to Christians in Christ. Uh, it's, it's up to believers in Christ who are aware of the gospel to be the most compelling examples for why Jesus' love is better than the world's. So, again, I wish I could say more. I'm gonna, we're going to move on to verse 6 now. Look at verse 6. <clears throat> Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. This is the second instance of a way that you can promote and protect the kingdom of God. It's a really hard verse to interpret. Here's what I think as I've studied this verse means. There are some out there who don't just reject the gospel, but openly hate it and are actively hating it and fighting against it. And in those cases, we are to move on to share the gospel with others. In Jesus' case, these were the Pharisees. But Jesus uses strong language like dogs and pigs to help us get that these people truly have nothing but hatred, active hatred for Jesus' name. A couple New Testament examples here. Look at Matthew, uh, just, you don't look it up, but I'll read it to you. Matthew 10, 13. Jesus sends out, sends out his disciples and instructs them, if anyone does not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Acts, Acts 18, 5 through 6. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. But when those Jews resisted and blasphemed, Paul shook out his clothes and he said to them, your blood is on your own heads. I am innocent. From now, now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So we see right here in the New Testament some other places where this verse could be being implemented. I want to be clear here. This does not mean that we are to move on if someone just simply rejects the gospel. So say you have a neighbor who is Jehovah's Witness or you have a family member who you have been trying to share the gospel with, but they've rejected it. Maybe they're irritated with you to a certain degree because you've just been persistent, pleading with them over time, long-suffering. I would argue that so long as they are not showing a clear, overwhelming pattern of hatefulness towards Jesus, active hatefulness, I would remain faithful in sharing the gospel. Jesus says that these people will trample on what is holy, which in this case is the good news of the gospel and is the good news of the kingdom. And it says they're going to tear you to pieces. So these are, these are showing us that there must be a severe and obviously egregious action being taken against either the messenger or the message. In Paul's instance above, it says that the Jews resisted, rejected the gospel, but they also blasphemed. They were actively hating it. There's this active assault against the gospel. And, and if you're ever at a point where you're not sure here, 
Is this this someone in my life who, who fits this? Be very cautious. Be shrewd. Be very slow to act. Seek counsel from the pastors. Because it's important to remember that we're not writing someone off as hopeless if we end up taking this step. Because even in this, the judgment you're giving isn't condemning judgment. You're just trusting the Lord with that. And you are hope, and, and, and we are still to hope all things, and that the Lord can use other means than you to save that person. Time is short, and it's valuable, and there are others who need to hear the good news, so we must move on. But in these two instances here, we just see clear evidence that our judgment, when handled wisely, can be like those controlled burns in a forest. To keep a forest healthy and to prevent active actual wildfires from consuming an area, those firefighters can carefully use their fire to promote and protect an area. So too, we are instructed with this stewardship, and we can do, only do it from a posture of grace. We as the church are commissioned to go and make disciples, but we can only do that if we have the power of the gospel by our side, and we can only do that well if we portray an accurate picture of it in our lives. So let's look like the kingdom citizens Jesus teaches us to be so that we can point people to an accurate gospel, an accurate Jesus, as quick as possible. Leave condemning judgment up to God. Keep your self-righteousness in front of you and speak the truth in love. And it's then that we make a clear pathway for the gospel to save and to sanctify. May God help us to heed his word today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for such compassion on us, knowing that we're taking your instructions and we just flip it on others, but you love us anyway. Thank you for providing us Jesus instead of condemnation, grace instead of judgment. Help us to showcase your glory and your kingdom clearly in our workplaces, in our homes, our schools as we go on from here today.